tuning in to Microbiome Matters, a podcast for healthcare professionals and researchers brought to you by Yakult Science. This podcast aims to share latest research and insights from experts about the science behind our gut microbiome. Hi, I'm Nir. And I'm Brett, and welcome to Microbiome Matters podcast. In this series, we'll be exploring some modifiable and non-modifiable factors affecting the gut. Today we have with us Dr. Rory Robertson. Dr. Robertson obtained BSc in Human Nutrition from University College Dublin. He subsequently conducted a PhD in Microbiology within the APC Microbiome Institute, University College Cork, and was also a visiting researcher at the Harvard University Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital, where he examined the role of dietary omega-3 fatty acids on the developing microbiome the gut-brain axis, and metabolic health outcomes. Dr. Robertson is currently a postdoctoral research fellow in the Blizzard Institute, Queen Mary University of London, where his research examines the influence of gut microbiome in early life growth and infection within large mother-infant cohorts in sub-Saharan Africa. Today, he will be talking to us about the role of age and early life on the gut microbiota. Thank you very much for joining us today, Rory. No, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to be here to chat to you. Our first question for you is, could you briefly introduce what we mean by modifiable and non-modifiable factors affecting the gut? Yeah, I suppose it's like anything in health. There are, there are some things that we can control uh, over our health and other things that we can't control. Um, so the things that we can't really control are our genes, uh, our genes are passed to us um, by our parents, so it, it depends on who our parents are and who, who their parents were. Uh, and our genes affect our health in, in many ways, and they can even affect our, our gut microbiome. Um, we, we know from uh, big studies, uh, some of which were conducted in the UK, uh, that there are certain uh, bacteria within our gut microbiome which are more heritable than others. That means if you have certain genes, uh, you're more likely to, to carry certain types of bacteria in your gut. Uh, one of these is called Christian Senella, uh, and that is a, a, an interesting uh, bacteria that plays a role in uh, whether you're more likely to gain weight or not. And that one is is quite heritable. But there are many other examples um, of, of heritable microbes inside the gut. So our genes, we can't control. That's, that's a, a non-modifiable factor uh, that determines our, our gut microbiome. Um, but there are other things, I suppose, that, that we ourselves can't control. Maybe our parents can. So things like how we were born, the, the method of delivery. Um, so babies who are born by C-section have a, a very different uh, microbiome to those that are born by a, a standard delivery. I mean, I suppose our, our our parents maybe have some sort of control over that, but we ourselves can't really control how we're born. So I was born by C-section, and uh, I think I've turned out all right. Um, but it's not, not something that I can control over my own microbiome. Uh, and similarly, how we're fed, I suppose, in early life is, is um, not modifiable for us, but again, modifiable for our parents. If we're talking about us as adults, there are many things that, that we can modify in our own environment that might affect our, our gut microbiome. So things like our diet, our lifestyle, uh, how often and, and whether we take antibiotics, um, how many people we kind of share our homes with or that we interact with on a daily basis. Uh, so these are all things that we can control and that we can modify to, to change the, the composition, I suppose, of, of our microbiome if we want to. Oh, that's really fascinating. Thank you. 
Um, is it is there any evidence for any of the factors playing a bigger role than others? Or yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sometimes hard to to quantify these things because everyone is different. So, um, you know, we, we all have different experiences throughout life, and it, it's very hard to kind of compare between between some people. In very early life, uh, one of the the biggest factors that will determine whether your your uh, what what composition of your microbiome is is uh, whether you're exclusively breastfed or not. Uh, so, babies who are uh, bo- uh, breastfed for exclusively for the first few months of life. Uh, have a very, very different microbiome to those that are um, mainly fed formula uh, milk instead. So that's probably the biggest determinant in early life of what your gut microbiome looks like. And after that, you've got things like antibiotics and um, and all these other things. So really, it is the mod- modifiable factors that really have a, have a bigger role to play than the non-modifiable ones, which is which is great to know because... Uh, as humans, we can't change our own genes. We can't um, modify our own genome. However, we can change our, our microbiome, um, which, which means that if we do have issues with our, with our gut microbiome or a microbiome in another part of our body, um, it is the, the modifiable factors which are going to be the, the most effective. So things like our diet, um, our kind of medications, our external environment, our exercise. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's it's so interesting how it all takes shape throughout the life course. And in the first series of this podcast, Professor Glenn Gibson spoke about the changes that occur to the gut microbiota over the lifetime um, very briefly. But could you comment on why age has such a prominent role in shaping our gut microbiota? Yeah, I mean, for for a number of reasons, partly because our bodies change as we age, uh, and there are, are, are lots of things that determine what our gut microbiota looks like or, or you know, what type of bugs are, are living inside of us. So even if we kept the, the same diet and lifestyle over the course of our lifetime, which is quite hard to do because you can't keep exercising or you can't keep, you know, the exact same diet throughout your whole life uh, or, or you're often kind of exposed to medicines, for example. But even if you did do that, our, our gut microbiomes would probably change a little bit anyway because our, our bodies are changing. So, uh, you know, we produce different hormones at different uh, points of our life, especially if we're female. Um, if, if you're male, it's the same. You kind of produce uh, different levels of hormones as you age as well or, or at different uh, when you're younger, maybe when you're an adolescent or when you're uh, much older. And all these hormones that are produced in your body um, can influence the, the bacteria that are inside of you as well. Not only the bacteria, but all the other other microbes as well. So that's one reason that, that things change over time, because our bodily processes are, are changing as well. And, and by default, then all of these microbes will will respond to that. Uh, but it, it's some of these lifestyle factors are changing as well. So we tend to um, maybe exercise less as we get older, or we might change our diets, or we might be uh, have to start taking things like statins, let's say, if, we, if you have a problem with your heart, uh, or you might have to take antibiotics at some point if you're sick, or a different type of medication. So all of these lifestyle factors begin to uh, take their toll and they begin to interact with, with the gut microbiota. Uh, so it's both these kind of external factors that change throughout our life as we age and also just the natural physiological processes in our body 
as our body begins to age itself and, and change metabolically and hormonally that then changes the environment for each of these microbes to, to live in. That's very interesting how both hormonal internal changes that take place over the lifetime, but also external kind of lifestyle factors play a role in how age influences our gut microbiota. So moving on to early life exposure, you had previously mentioned that early life exposure is a prominent modifiable factor that affects our gut microbiota. Could you tell us why establishing a healthy intestinal microbiota in early life is so important? Yeah, it is really important. We talk about this period in early life called the the first 1000 days. And so that is from the point of conception to the point of about two years of age. And, and we've known a lot about this in, in the field of nutrition and infant growth, I suppose, for a while, that it's a really important phase in early life for determining our health later on. So as long as we're kind of hit the right trajectories and we're healthy and uh, developing well in that first 1000 days, then a child will tend to do do well later on throughout childhood and even into adulthood. There'll be a lower risk of, of diseases. Whereas if you have various processes that are, you know, disturbed during that first 1000 days, you're more likely to be at higher risk of a, of a disease later on. So early life is is really important for um, establishing a, a good microbiome as well This in, in this first 1000 days. A baby generally is quite is, is sterile inside the, the fetus. It might be exposed to a couple of bacteria but, but, or a couple of microbes, but nothing, nothing uh, major. And then as soon as it comes out, it's coated with all of these microorganisms that, that we are all exposed to every day. And so these initial microbial exposures are really important for helping to train a baby's immune system, for example. It's also important for helping babies to digest the sugars in breast milk. Uh, and, and all of these things help their body to grow, uh, helps their immune system to develop and mature. And, and so this is, I suppose, really important for defining how our bodies react and respond in later life. And one of the best kind of documented examples of this is uh, something known as the hygiene hypothesis. And that is kind of evidence showing that children who are brought up, for example, on farms or who are brought up in daycare settings where they're exposed to lots of other children uh, or, or brought up with pets, all these children are less likely to uh, get things like asthma or allergies later on versus children who are born, let's say, by C-section or, or children who are brought up in a hypersterile environment. Uh, in, a, in a kind of really clean environment, let's say. And these children aren't, aren't exposed to as many kind of other microbes from other children or from pets or farms or the outside uh, environment. And therefore, their immune system doesn't learn to recognize what microbes are good and, and which ones are bad. So really, in early life, our developing a gut microbiome is really important for training the immune system to, to, to know what is good and what is bad. And that can have implications for things like asthma and allergies and even more uh, severe inflammatory conditions, things like inflammatory bowel disease. And, and there's even links to even more chronic conditions later on in, into life as well, uh, such as weight gain, heart disease, rheumatoid arthritis and all these things. Uh, so getting that right for your microbiome in, in early life is, is really, really important uh, for determining our health later on. Thanks. That's so interesting to hear about that. And in the first thousand days of life, it's incredible how that can have a lasting impact later on. Uh, is there actually any evidence for transfer of bacteria during pregnancy? Yeah, there absolutely is. So 
that's usually where babies get their first microbiome or microbiota from. It, it's from their mother. Uh, and so scientists over the last few years have tried to are, are trying to figure out exactly where these microbes are coming from. Is it from the mother's skin? Is it from the mother's birth canal? Is it from the mother's gut? And it tends to be a, a mixture of everything. Uh, immediately at birth, um, it was kind of, even until recently, thought that, that most of the microbes are coming from the mother's birth canal. Actually, it's really the mother's gut that, that most of these uh, microbes are coming from that, that colonize the baby uh, straight away. But there's interesting evidence showing that there's even some microbes within a mother's breast milk um, that kind of directly feed into the, into the baby as it, as it breastfeeds. And then after that, uh, in the kind of first few weeks and months of life, a baby starts to gain more microbes, I suppose, from the mother's skin in terms of kind of skin to skin contact with the mother. Uh, and slowly as it begins to get older over the first few months of life and it begins to be weaned onto solid foods after, let's say, six months of life, a baby begins to acquire other microbes from the surrounding environment. You know, you think of children, they'll start crawling around, they'll start putting other things in their mouth. And, and so they'll start um, getting all these microbes from, from other sources that isn't just from their mother. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, and you've already mentioned how mode of delivery uh, could impact the gut microbiota. Uh, given an increase in cesarean section deliveries, is there anything being explored in the research um, as to how you could almost um, look at the gut microbiota in these different modes of delivery and, and if there are any concerns either way. Yeah, there, there, there definitely is. So, I mean, it's important to say that, you know, in many cases, C-sections are important. You know, C-sections can be very helpful and they can save lives of mothers and babies. So in many cases, they are important. However, you're right, they are, the, the rates of C-sections have just skyrocketed in, in kind of recent decades. Um, and so, there are implications of that. As I mentioned, a, a baby who's born by C-section, it's initially coated with microbes from the mother's skin or from the hospital environment. And so it doesn't get that natural coating of microbes that, that babies do when they're born uh, naturally. So in order to try and uh, compensate for that, some really interesting research has been uh, done to see if babies can be, uh, who are, babies who are born by C-section can be seeded with microbes uh, from the mother uh, to kind of recover that natural microbiome that they would have got if they were born normally. Uh, and so there's, there's two kind of angles for that. A couple of studies have um, taken uh, swabs, uh, like vaginal swabs from the mother uh, and swab them all over the, the baby who's born by C-section on the skin and in the mouth and all over them uh, to try and kind of seed them with those natural microbes they would have got if they were born naturally. And it seems like the, the microbiome kind of recovers um, when, when you do that process and it kind of looks kind of like a baby who's born by C-section after the first few weeks. However, um, as, as strange as it sounds, Probably the more effective way and, and something that's just been published is if you take a small fecal sample from a mother and give that to a baby as soon as they've been born, if they're born by C-section, and that, uh, the, that baby's gut microbiome tends to look very much like um, uh, a baby who was born naturally. Now, I don't think that's going to be the, the real answer for every baby that's born by C-section. I'm not too sure I'd be comfortable with my child being, being given a, a fecal sample from, from his mother as soon as it's born, because you have to be very, very careful and you, that you screen these samples for uh, really bad infections that could make, make the baby sick. And um, so, so that's important as well. So these things are being studied. 
Um, but in kind of in terms of more natural uh, ways, babies who are uh, exclusively breastfed for you know a few months, at least kind of four or five months, their microbiome uh, does tend to recover if they were born by C-section um, to, to make it look more like a, a baby who's born naturally. So even just in itself, without all these kind of drastic seeding or fecal transplant approaches, uh, if a baby is born by C-section, uh, just exclusively breastfeeding it for, for a few months uh, is, is almost good enough to get it back to a, a kind of a normal state. Uh, and, that's, and that's probably the, the biggest piece of advice that um, you could have for, for establishing a, a, a good, healthy, early life gut microbiome. Well, that's really insightful. We've talked about vaginal seeding and how it could be helpful, but then we could use strategies like breastfeeding to help recover the gut microbiota of C-section delivered babies. Um, do we see any differences in the gut microbiota of preterm babies as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so babies who are born preterm, they, they acquire different microbes from their mother. And so th- we're not entirely sure why that is yet Uh, because it could be firstly because they've come out too early and so their body is responding differently and therefore it'll take on different microbes you know these microbes need a certain environment to live in Um, but also baby who's born preterm are very often um, either formula fed uh, because they're sometimes kept in incubators they're very often given antibiotics because they might be they're at higher risk of getting sepsis or some of these other conditions so it's it's difficult to know whether it's these other exposures which are changing their microbiome uh, or whether it's just the, the actual fact that they've been born early. Uh, but we definitely do see differences. The, the babies who are born preterm tend to um, contain slightly more dangerous microbes like some, some of the more disease-causing E. coli and Klebsiella, which can cause bad infections, in, especially in preterm babies because their immune systems aren't as well, uh, aren't as mature, let's say, or, or well-trained. So yes, uh, they, they definitely do. And that's a really important area to try and figure out how can you recover a, a, a preterm baby's microbiome uh, as quickly as possible so that they aren't at, at high risk of these um, dangerous infections or other conditions. And what can we do to maybe help recover that gut microbiome? So there are a, a few studies looking at um, specific probiotics. Now, importantly, not all probiotics are the same, um, but there are a couple of probiotics which have been shown to um, restore the um, microbiome of preterm babies uh, and make them less likely to um, get these bad conditions such as sepsis or necrotizing enterocolitis. And usually these probiotics are, are things uh, such as bifidobacteria, which are a type of bacteria which usually colonize the, the gut of babies who are um, born in a natural delivery and, and exclusively breastfed. And so that's the, the kind of the, the main uh, approach. But again, we've spoken about exclusive breastfeeding. Um, and, and these are ways that the, the best ways to kind of establish the, the early life microbiome of these, of these children. That's really great to hear about um, the options with uh, future research and probiotics. Um, You've mentioned about breastfeeding as well um, and some of the benefits that young children can get from breastfeeding. Uh, could formula milks also be um, utilised um, with prebiotic fibres? And is there any research on where prebiotic fibres can have a benefit in early life? 
Yeah, it's possible. At the moment, there isn't a, a formula feed available that, uh, that can match breast milk. Breast milk contains just such a huge number of amazing uh, factors, like kind of antimicrobial compounds, different proteins, different sugars, many of which are, are, are almost personalized to each baby and each mother. Uh, and so there's, there's so many of these important factors within breast milk that just can, at this point in time, be replicated in, in formula milk. And that's why the recommendation is always that uh, children are exclusively breastfed for um, the first six months of life. Having said that, there's, there's certain scenarios when babies can't be exclusively breastfed. And, and for example, certain preterm infants uh, or infants that have other conditions um, have to be fed formula feed. And that's why there is research going on looking at some of these other factors that could be added into these formulas to help support their gut. So we've spoken about probiotics and, and things like bifidobacteria. But there are certain uh, prebiotics as well, which are these um, kind of fibers which are broken down by the gut bacteria and which helps support the growth of some of these beneficial microbes. So some of these are, are things like FOS and GOS, and their scientific names are like fructooligosaccharides, galactooligosaccharides. These are the ones that are usually given to, um, to babies in early life. And these, when combined with a probiotic, can be beneficial for infants in certain scenarios. So, for example, there was a, a huge study in 4,000 babies in India done a couple of years ago showing that if you give this probiotic with a, a combined prebiotic, this FOS and this GOS, this could significantly reduce the chance of um, sepsis, this bad infection, and death in, in children um, because it's supporting their, their microbiome. So th there are certain instances that... that um, these kind of things can help and could be added into formula milk if uh, babies needed that. But again, I suppose the message always is that the, the world recommendations are exclusive breastfeeding if you can for the first six months of life. It's really great to hear that there's a lot of research going around the use of prebiotics in formula milk, especially in cases where these babies may not be, they, they may not be able to be breastfed. But it's good that they're looking into other options as well. I think that's it for the questions today. Thank you for joining us and chatting with us about the role of early life and also age and how that influences the gut microbiota. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Oh, I, I do actually have one last question to ask. Oh, great. Uh, what's something that you do to look after your gut microbiota? Oh, good question. Uh, I usually have a, a two or three tips that I give to people. I, I try to live by as well at the same time. We know that uh, the diversity of your microbiome is probably the one thing we can rely on to to relate to health. Uh, each of our microbiomes are different, but we know that in general, a diverse gut microbiome is, is a healthy one. So to do that, you need a diverse diet. So I'd suggest that anytime you go food shopping, buy a different type of plant-based food that you haven't, haven't tried before. You know, we're all guilty of going in and we'll buy the same things. I'll cook the same thing tonight for my dinner or my breakfast. But try something new, pick up a new fruit or vegetable you wouldn't usually buy, a new kind of nut or seed or a different type of grain or a different type of beans, for example. Um, and that'll kind of help you to, to increase the diversity of your diet. I also like to kind of keep a, a mixed jar of nuts and seeds and lots of kind of mixed grains sometimes as well to, to sprinkle onto cereal or onto salads. Uh, and it's another way of kind of increasing the diversity of your diet. So that's what I try to do on a daily basis. I think it works. Okay, great. Thanks. So we'll have to be adventurous with our cooking and try some new plant-based foods as well as Absolutely. adding nuts and seeds to cereal and salads. Great. Thanks very much. No worries. 
Thanks for tuning in. For more information and to sign up for future episodes of our Microbiome Matters podcast, go to yakult.co.uk forward slash HCP. Thank you.